Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart Continuing Chapter 43 The Spirit of Jesus Christ We must listen to the words Jesus speaks to us within our soul. We must comprehend and repeat His inner words. We must hear them with faith, receive them with respect and love, impart them with fidelity and confidence, with sweetness and power. Alas, we have rarely been inspired by the words of Jesus, but often by our self-love and natural affections. Thus our words have been fruitless, ill-advised, and frequently blameworthy. The Heavenly Father inspired all our Lord's actions and regulated even their smallest details. I do nothing of myself, said the Savior. Our Lord fulfilled His Father's will in every jot and tittle. That is the duty of a true servant of Jesus Christ. That is the duty of a soul which receives Him and is nourished with Him so often. And is it not even now a great honor to have Jesus for my Master, to see Him condescend to direct me in all my ways and give me the inspiration for even the slightest of my actions? Why do not I, who am His apprentice, do what He does, in the way He does it, and in the intention with which He does it? If we acted thus, we should have peace, liberty, union with God. We should not be taken up with what we are doing, but even in our labors, remain in Jesus. We should think of nothing but what our Lord wills, and only so long as He wills it, like the servant to whom is said, Go, and He goes. Come, and He comes. But for this, there must be a revolution in our life, a complete revolution that will put in chains and mortify the old Adam. In short, we shall have to leave the direction of our life to our Lord and rest content to obey Him. That is why He enters into us. Unless we make this sacrifice of our faculties, our will, and our activity, Jesus will not really live in us. Our actions will still be ours, but with little merit. We shall be united to our Lord by means of habitual grace, but not, not by love that is real, living, powerful. We shall not be able to repeat these words with truth and in all the depth of their meaning. And I live now, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Chapter 44 Signs of the Spirit of Jesus Son, Observe diligently the motions of nature and grace, for they move with great contrariety and subtlety, and can hardly be distinguished but by a spiritual man, and one that is inwardly enlightened. The Imitation of Christ, Book 3, Chapter 154, Number 1 There are two lives in us, the natural and the supernatural. The one or the other must of necessity obtain ascendancy over us. If the first, we are culpable. But if the second, it rules and sanctifies everything. The supernatural life puts everything in order, 
rectifies and purifies everything. Virtue consists in keeping this life strong and active. We must know what spirit we are acting by, whether by the spirit of grace or of nature. There are moments when this is very difficult to determine. Then comes an inner struggle. The outcome will show by what spirit we act, which life rules in us. In the world, everything serves to promote the natural life. Everything fosters it, exalts it, glorifies it. On the other hand, if one desires to live by God, he must direct all his actions, use every means in his power to maintain and increase the supernatural life. I would earnestly advise you, if you wish to distinguish the different motions of these two lives, to study the 54th chapter of the imitation. It needs only humility and delicacy of feeling to make us ascribe to ourselves all the defects there enumerated. But we must be reasonable in all things. It is true that we have within us the germ of every evil tendency, but in practice we do not have every defect. Let us pray God that we may recognize our faults and correct them. Let us work toward that end without haste or anxiety. God's grace will guide us, and if we are faithful to it, will make the life of Jesus triumphant in us. Here are a few signs by which we may know that we are living the supernatural life that it is firmly established in us and is directing our conduct. 1. The life of Jesus Christ, first of all, dominates our conscience, purifies it, and separates it from sin. A conscience which is either doubtful or guilty does not have this life. Let us judge by our delicacy of conscience whether Jesus dwells in us. If we do not detest sin, the Spirit of Jesus is not in us. Our conscience must be free and clear, and the enemy must be kept in such strict duress that he cannot even disturb its limpid purity. To that end, we must first use force, force against self and against sin. Afterward, sweetness will play its part. We shall describe later the sort of force we mean. Let us see, then, whether we are grieved by sin. If not, we are outsiders, not children of the family. If we feel no sorrow at having sinned, at having grieved our Lord and raised a barrier between himself and us that prevents his speaking to us, then our heart is dead. 2. If our will is so united to our Lord's that we not only wish to avoid sin, which is sufficient for salvation, but to do everything he asks of us, then he lives within us. However, there are times, even in this second state, when the struggle against sin is in our will, times when the will wavers and inclines to sin by temptation. It is cast into darkness and confusion. In this case, it is no longer enough to feel good sentiments. The thing that is necessary is to strengthen the will against sin and the gravest sins. God wills this trial. 
The saints are sometimes accompanied by cherubim, sometimes by demons. The good God wills that we should not altogether forget conscience, which the sweetness of his service inclines us to lose from view. Love makes us forget the combat. That is why God sends these temptations which attack the will itself. All our pride is gone then. The soul questions everything it has done heretofore. It feels it is so weak that it would fall if God did not hold it by the hand. That humbles, and it is good. We must realize that we are dust, and a little fear is necessary that we may avoid the familiarity of laziness toward our Lord. These states are more painful than actual fear of hell. The more the soul has loved, and the more it has been loved hitherto, the more it now weeps for God. The good God leaves us thus until we have returned into our poverty. Alas, says the soul, what was I about, supposing God had abandoned me, and how far I should have fallen if he had not held me back. This good act of humility sets us on our feet again. God is content, and everything is in order. You must expect such times as these. You will pass through them. If you are making steady progress, then you have need of purification, and it will come in God's good time. What is to be done in such moments? Lay hold on the cross. Have recourse to prayer. It is too late to take to flight. There are souls that often go through this ordeal. When they happen to have sinned by their heart, their affections, God purifies them in this way. Perhaps you will say, but then if they are guilty of sin, it is by their own fault that they pass through these trials. Well, what if it be so? We are not yet in paradise. It may well be their fault. But on the other hand, God profits by it to spur them on to greater efforts, to press forth blood and tears, to clear the way. Let us return to what we were trying to find out above, the second sign that Jesus Christ lives in us. Aside from the temptations of which we have just spoken, this second sign is the complete union of our will with our Lord's. In our adoration and our prayers, let us never cease to strengthen our will to belong to God by giving it again and again into His keeping. For what? For everything He may will for us, both now and in time to come. Our piety is very defective if we fasten our will upon one particular thing. If that thing fails and another appears, we are unprepared. Therefore, be ready for anything. If God does not speak to you at this moment, never mind. You belong to Him, are waiting for Him to speak. That is the real sign that Jesus lives in your will. If you have reached that point, you are living by His life. For the supernatural life, the life in God, is a life of the will. Whatever man's will accepts, is accomplished in the sight of God. He has merited all he has willed. To be at God's disposal is to act. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emard. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emard, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. For more information, call toll-free 877-395-2320.